You have a lot to focus on every day. Let Virginia Premier focus on your health coverage. Our health plan is only focused on Virginia, so we can connect you with quality health care and local resources. Our added benefits give you more value on top of your medical and drug coverage from Virginia Medicaid. See our benefits at virginiapremier.com slash Medicaid and have your whole family with the same health plan. Virginia Premier, focused on Virginia, focused on you. If you want to support the show, the best way you can is through any of the books or current ongoing Vela shorts that are being released on a regular basis. The easiest way to find this is to go to bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks, and you'll have links there to everything. All of my Kindle books are available for free. If you have Kindle Unlimited, you don't have to pay anything. You get it with your subscription. You can read them all. They're all in screenplay format. That includes Swan Song, The Muses, Duet, In the End. Our past does not define us. Anything else that I've written that's available on Kindle, it's available there. You can buy a soft cover if you want. Uh, there's a hardcover collection of all of the Swan Song books all combined into one. That's available as a hardcover. You can pre order Echo Alpha, which is coming out in November. All of these things are available if you go uh, on Amazon. But, quick link if you go bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks. I have them all there nice, easily cataloged. Also, down toward the bottom, we have the Kindle Vela content. Uh, the first three episodes are always free. And then after that, um, there's a token system that you can use to, to you know, read. Even if you don't like it, just give it a thumbs up. Uh, that way we can get it up higher somewhere people see it. So one final time, that's bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks. And every Wednesday, there's a new Vela book that goes up. Taser and Acrobat, Nanite and Rosebud, Tales from Another World, and The Alchemist and the Illusionist all go up on Wednesdays, and it's all available on uh, Kindle Vela. All of this is available bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks. This week on 30-Minute Reviews, Marvel has a bunch of new release dates, and we are going to baselessly speculate about what will be taking those spots. Plus, a continuation of our what-if question from two weeks ago, Plus, the Hawkeye trailer, and Revisiting Solo. Welcome to 30 Minute Reviews. I am Adam. We got a few news stories to lead off with today. Let's start out with the, the big one. That's kind of broad and, like, not very focused, you know. Something we can speculate about, baselessly, which, I mean, all of this we can. So, Marvel put up a bunch of new release dates. And when I say that, I mean they... What what happens in the industry is people will reserve release dates. They'll be like, we want to put out this movie on this date. Um, or they'll just be like, we're going to take this spot for our studio. And what this does is let all the other studios know that, like... This date is reserved by whatever studio it is. So, like, for Disney, they'll have... Lucasfilm will have its dates. Uh, Marvel Studios will have its dates. Pixar's will have its dates, which I don't think is even a thing anymore because of Disney+. Plus. And then, like, Walt Disney Entertainment will have their dates, which is, like, their live-action remakes and then their animated movies. Uh, that'd be Walt Disney Animation. So it kind of gives you a sense of what's going where. So we got a bunch of new dates from Marvel that don't have movies attached to them. 
Uh, so let's go through what we have so far that we know. So, so far we've had Black Widow and Shang-Chi in 2021 so far. Uh, the next movie is November 5th. That will be The Eternals. December 17th is Spider-Man No Way Home. March 25th, 2021, Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, May 6th, 2022, Thor Love and Thunder. July 8th, 2022, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. November 11th, 2022, The Marvels. February 17th, 2023, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. May 5th, 2023, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Now, the new dates that they've added are July 28th, 2023, October 6th, 2023, November 10th, 2023, bringing the total number of movies in 2023 up to five. February 16th, 2024, May, 20, May of 2024, July of 2024, November of 2024, because the website that I had didn't have the actual dates, it just had broadly, this is what's going where, and, and all of that. Um, so let's speculate. Now, there are four movies that we know to be in development that do not have release dates, excluding the ones we already know are coming and already are scheduled. There are four others. There is the John Watts-helmed Fantastic Four movie, um, which will be John Watts' next movie after Spider-Man No Way Home. There is Blade, which was announced at San Diego Comic-Con with the rest of the Phase 4 slate back in 2019, where that was going to be held by Mahershala Ali in the in the lead. I believe there was a director attack. I don't remember his name. There's also Captain America 4, after the success of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That will be getting a theatrical release. So we know that's coming. And Deadpool 3, we knew, was an active development from Ryan Reynolds and not Rob Liefeld, because he's still pissed about it and saying it's never going to happen. So, what does this mean? These four movies, I think, are the four easiest ones to put in. I think July of 2023 is going to end up being Fantastic Four. I think that October of 2023 is going to be Blade, because those two have directors attached and are basically ready and, like, almost nearing start production start dates. Um, Captain America 4 was just announced to be happening, um, and they just signed a deal overall with the talent who are reprising, which would be Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stamp, presumably, as well as the showrunner from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, who will be going ahead to do, uh, this movie as well. I don't know if he's gonna be just directing, or I'm assuming he's gonna be writing and directing. So for these, I believe we have the following dates. So I think that Fantastic Four is going to be July 28th, October 6th is going to be Blade, Deadpool 3 is going to be November 10th, and then um, Captain America 4 is going to be July of 2024. Now this leaves three more dates available. Um, I think Avengers 5 is a safe bet for May of 2024. And the reason for that is the Avengers movies have always been May event movies, and I think that that's, a good enough, that's enough time to palate cleanse after the last Avengers movie. Where, you know, going from 2019 with Endgame, we now have had five years to really settle ourselves and get going. Plus, it gives enough time after Quantumania to do more stuff with Kang the Conqueror to set him up as a larger villain. I think that you have enough time to really get going from there. I think February is going to be Shang-Chi 2. Um, it's going to have a nice wide berth with nothing coming out around it to, to bite into their box office. Um, Shang-Chi did moderately well at the box office during the pandemic. I think that this is going to give him a wider berth where there's nothing around to really hurt it. Now, the November 2024 one, I'm a little bit hesitant to say one way or the other what's going to be coming there. Because there is no basis for this, and we don't have, it's not like we can say definitively Spider-Man getting a sequel. And on top of that, if it was Spider-Man, it wouldn't have 
a release date on the Marvel Studios calendar because it's a Sony production. Um, so uh, that takes out of consideration Morbius, takes out of consideration Venom, it takes out of consideration any other character who um, is in the Sony universe of Marvel characters. So I think that that date could be tentatively held by um, Eternals 2. If that happens, I would be surprised if it doesn't. Um, but again, that's all pending box office of Eternals 2. But I think it's a safe bet that Eternals will make a lot of money, especially as we get into that part of this is not going to be going to Disney Plus until January, so I think it's a good chance it can make a lot of money. So to, to, to recap, July 8th, 2023, Fantastic Four. October 6th, 2023, Bleed. November 10th, 2023, Deadpool 3. Also, November 10th gives the opportunity to be a holiday movie. Um, and also gives it a nice wide opening, because I believe, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that December is when Patty Jenkins's Rogue Squadron movie comes out. So, let's see how, let's, let's see that. February 16th, 2024, Shang-Chi uh, Shang 2. May 2024, Avengers 5. July 2024, Captain America 4. And November 2024, Eternals 2. Um, that gives... That would be my my guesses. None of that is confirmed. That's just how I feel is likely. So let's move on to the Hawkeye trailer. I don't care about Hawkeye. Maybe that's a hot take, as the kids say. But I don't. I never have liked Hawkeye. Uh, I never like. Okay, there are like this is doing the same thing as the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but like it's less interesting because I don't have the history with Kate Bishop that I do with Falcon and the Winter Soldier as characters. Regardless of whether or not I've read the comics or not, I still don't have that. Like, we haven't even had the chance to build up a real relationship with Hawkeye as a character. I don't care too much about Hawkeye training his replacement. Like, there's not enough there, really, for me to, to, to say I'm, I'm interested. Now, it's cool they're bringing in Echo who is an adopted daughter of Wilson Fisk, and Vincent D'Onofrio seems to be playing up. There's a possibility he's reprising, and if that's the case, I don't think it's likely he's going to be the exact same character we had in Daredevil, because, let's be honest, I don't think that Disney Plus is going to have a show where um, someone, even if he is the bad guy, beheads someone with a car door in his first appearance, um, which is such an, uh, a strong opening for that character, that here we are now, seven years later almost, and that's still seared into my brain, that that intro for Wilson Fisk, where he just gets out of the car, beats the guy's head in, beheads him with the car door, and then gets back in like nothing's wrong. Like, it's it's such a great intro for that character and his brutality. And, and I hope he comes back, but if my biggest draw to this show is that they're playing up the fact that there's a possibility that you know, we have characters from Netflix coming in, then you 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 don't have me interested for the right reason, especially when the show is called Hawkeye. Like, I was more interested to see what happened with Loki after Endgame than I was with Hawkeye. And yeah, it's Christmas-themed, and yeah, there appears to be a Hamilton parody with a Steve Rogers musical that could be funny, and it's like, yeah, it, it seems to be hitting... Some things that I'll find amusing. And yeah, we know Yelena's going to be there because the post-credit scene for, um, what's it called? The post-credit scene for Black Widow told us that that was going to happen. So we know that's eventually going to happen, just not when. 
but I, I can't definitively say, like, I'll watch the show, don't get me wrong, but I can't definitively say the show's gonna be, you know, great or bad. This trailer looks fine, and it's like, you know, let's see how the show goes. I have a soft spot for things set in the winter, and things set in cities in the winter. So, like, you know, hopefully it's good. Like, it looks like it has the same aesthetic as, say, Daredevil or Jessica Jones or, or those kind of things, but I don't think we'll get the... <laughs> you have a lot to focus on every day. Let Virginia Premier focus on your health coverage. Our health plan is only focused on Virginia, so we can connect you with quality health care and local resources. Our added benefits give you more value on top of your medical and drug coverage from Virginia Medicaid. See our benefits at virginiapremier.com slash Medicaid and have your whole family with the same health plan. Virginia Premier, focused on Virginia, focused on you. The the body count or the, um, like, the, like how hard those shows hit with the themes. Like, when I hear someone say they want a rated R version of Batman or they want a rated R version of a character, what they mean nine times out of ten is they want the character to curse and they want there to be gore and blood and things like that. And most of the time that you have something take that rated R, you know, turn, and we'll see with uh, the Batman, but when we look at Logan, you probably could have told the story of Logan with a PG-13. You probably could have told the story of Suicide Squad. You definitely could have told the story of Suicide Squad with a PG-13. Um, you definitely could have done Birds of Prey with a PG-13 and not lost any key elements of the story. You could have, if you can downgrade the rating, if Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage came out, I'm going to leave Iron Fist out of this because, you know, that's a smart way to, to, to deal with these. If you took those sto those shows and made them into movies, they'd be rated hard R's. Um, and there's no cursing in them. It's just, you know, the, the brutality around it. But I don't, I think fundamentally baked into those is this, thing where these characters have to be like these shows have to be told and the way the story is told has to be told with this rated r and you cannot hit the same thematic points without that hard r rating and I, I think that like when i hear someone say oh i want to be rated r nine times out of ten it's like well put the you know if it's the same story but it's just rated r it's just i just want you know blood and cursing and it's like for this you know maybe you don't have to go into that hard r and we'll see if you know these characters can hold on to that um, without it. I still hope that, you know, Charlie Cox and, and Kristen Ritter and Mike Coulter reprise. Um, I could, you know, do without Finn Jones. Um, especially considering that if you haven't seen Shang-Chi yet and you're waiting, you know, what? I'm going to use the first introduction of the, the spoiler warning. Um, so right here, that's the spoiler warning. And if you, uh, if you listen beyond this point, you know, at your own risk. So, in Shang-Chi, we are introduced to his mother, who is in this village, in a pocket dimension, in the mountains of China, who, um, you know, goes to, you know, there's this village with these mythical creatures, and there's a very specific way you have to go there, and it's only open once every however many years, and, you know, sounds a lot like Kun Lun. So, they could do a new version of the Iron Fist... You know, in, in in this new version of, you know, in this new version of Kun Lun. End spoilers. And that is the end of the spoiler warning. Um, so we'll be doing that again later in this episode when we get to the 
the bit about the uh, the Venom, Let There Be Carnage stuff. But, like, if they're going to introduce these characters, I'm fine with all of that. I mean, if you're going to bring back... Like, basically, I'm fine with everyone coming back except for, for Finn Jones. As, as awful as that sounds. Like, I loved basically everyone on these shows except for him. I think that, like, Elodie Young as Electra was great. I think Jessica Henwick as um, Colleen Wing was great. I, I think that's probably the best way to do it is to have her come back as Colleen Wing with the Iron Fist. If I remember correctly, that's how season two of Iron Fist ended. So that would make a lot of sense if they did that. Now, let's talk about the reaction to the initial screenings for Venom 2, which we now have. Now, Venom 2 is coming out in a few weeks. It was moved up after the success of Shang-Chi at the box office. Um, It will not be going digital. It will be theaters only. And first reactions are out. Here's the thing, and I'm going to put the spoiler warning in now. So if you listen past this point, there are spoilers. I think that... The the reaction has been so far, and I'm saying spoiler warning because it's unconfirmed. I'm saying broadly what you know was said um, in in the in the discussions on on you know the various articles that I read, which cited social media, um, and then there were a few quote unquote leaked things that that you know are not conflicting but are broadly the same, and it's you know again. We're in the spoiler section, so if you if you listen to this part, then, you know, there will be spoilers here. So, uh, and again, not confirmed spoilers. No way to guarantee these are real. These are, you know, could be fake, could be real. So, what we have is we have a lot of people who are saying that, you know, oh, this is awesome, and, you know, the post-credit scene, the post-credit scene is really cool, and the post-credit scene, the post-credit scene, the post-credit scene. Like, yeah, great, the post-credit scene, but what about anything, like, what about the rest of the movie? And I wasn't able to find any reaction to the rest of the movie, and I've seen somewhere it's, like, it's a profoundly human story, and I don't know if that's a statement from people who have seen it or if that's from the Andy Serkis statements. But anyway, what we have here looking at this, is what is this post-credit scene that is so big that we need to, you know, that it's it's the thing that is the most discussed part of these test screenings. And from what I can gather, the post-credit scene ties Venom into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm going to let you pause to be surprised by this. Because apparently what the t- test screening is, it's a lot of um, Venom, like... Uh, for whatever reason, Venom has to go into hiding after the events of Let There Be Carnage. So Eddie Brock and Venom are in hiding, and they're watching TV, and they see the news report from the post-credit scene of Far From Home, where Peter Parker is out of the Spider-Man. And I heard one, I don't know how real it is, where it's an audio recording where it's like, you know, they see all that, and then um, you hear Venom, and Venom says he looks tasty. There was another one where it's like, Venom starts licking the screen when they show his picture. And number one, if that's the case, that's very weird because, like, the overtones of, like, he's a teenager. Like, it's just creepy. But forgetting all of that, we knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen because we knew that Venom and Morbius took place in the same universe and that, the you know, these were all going to happen. 
But then on top of it, we knew that Sony has very, you know, openly wanted to do the the movie of Venom versus Spider-Man. And we knew this was the case because we know if this movie does well, they're going to make a three. And if the movie does moderately okay, they're going to make a three. They're going to put it on the on the, the pandemic sliding scale at the box office. Where it's like, if the movie does okay, they're going to do a three. Who get Who is there for a three? What, you know, what character do they bring in for a three face off against Spider-Man, against Venom, and it's not going to be Morbius, like, you do Spider-Man, who else can Venom fight at this point, he has to face off against Spider-Man, and I think that, you know, if, if you're surprised by this, I feel like it's like, oh, there's a big thing at the end of the Batman, and it might be the Joker, it's like, I'm not going to be surprised if the Joker shows up at the end of Batman, unless it's like Dwight dressed up as the Joker from that one upside of the office, like, I, I, it's a foregone conclusion this is going to happen, because this is what they do. So, like, and the thing is, too, we saw the first trailer for Morbius before it got delayed indefinitely 12 times um, due to the pandemic, and we, we knew this was going to end up happening. Like, because uh, Adrian Toomes is in that trailer. So, we, and we knew they took place in the same universe. And we knew that these movies were always going to be MCU adjacent in the same way the Defenders verse is, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, and Agent Carter is, and The Inhumans is, where it's like, it's a one-way continuity, the same way that Star Wars had that weird tiered continuity up until Disney bought them, where it's like, you know, these things had to be, um, like, whatever, the TV had to be compliant to the movies, but the movies didn't have to be compliant to TV, and then it was like, books had to be compliant to movies and TV, but they didn't have to be compliant to the books. And then, like, video games had to be compliant to all three. But, you know, it's the same thing, where it's a one-way street of continuity. Where it's, like, the TV shows on, on ABC and on Hulu and on Disney+, Plus up until recently, um, had to be compliant with, you know, the movies as a whole. Um, but there was no expectation that they would, you know, they, it would be a reciprocal, uh, reciprocated relationship. Where it's like, I didn't expect Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to come in and reference the, you know, to reference the, the movies. Uh, I expected them to reference the movies, but not for the movies to reference Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It wouldn't, you know, there was no expectation of that. Like, I didn't expect Ghost Rider to show up in um, in anything, because it's like, it wouldn't make sense for it to happen. Also, Ghost Rider lost his powers, if I remember correctly. Because at one point, you know, Coulson had the spirit of vengeance. It's been a long time since I watched that. Anyway, because of that, you know, that lack of understanding, I guess, to an extent, like, this is a, a, a surprise to some people. It shouldn't be. It's the bare minimum of fan service. And at this point, we should expect more from this. Like, you know, be like this is the, the, the least amount of effort they could put into this trailer. Like, because it's not even like the last one. Where it's like at the end of Venom, at least they they cast they cast Woody Harrelson for that, and because Woody Harrelson was cast for it, it's like okay, well here's Cletus Cassidy, here's where we know where we're going, and it's like we knew this was going to happen, we knew that Venom was going to fight Spider Man, and we know what's not going to happen in um in what what what's the next one in uh, in No Way Home, so this is not a surprise, so we'll end the spoiler warning from there. And we'll move on. Uh, let's see. Leica has their next movie coming. And this will be our last news story for today. Leica Animation, which is 
you know, one of the most consistent animation studios um, that's active today. They did uh, Paranorman, Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, Missing Link, uh, Coraline. Their next feature is going to be Wildwood, which is going to be uh, directed by Travis Knight, the president and CEO of Laika. Um, Beyond Portland City Limits Lies Wildwood. You're not even supposed to go there. You're not supposed to know what exists, but Prue McKeel is about to enter this enchanted wonderland. Her baby brother, Mac, has been taken by a murderer of crows into forest depths, and she, along with her hapless classmate, Curtis, is going to get him back. Prue might think she's too old for fairy tales, but she just found herself in the center of one, one filled with strange talking animals, rogue, roguish bandits, and powerful figures with the darkest intuitions. It sounds, from that description, like Labyrinth, but in stop-motion animation... You got me. And, and I love what Laika does. Laika always, you know, pulls out all the stops for all their movies. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Can't wait for it when it comes out. So let's talk about Solo a little bit. This week's movie. I I saw this movie in theaters and was not unimpressed. Just kind of mad. Because here's, here's the problem with Solo. Unlike virtually every other Star Wars movie that's been... And I would say more so than any other movie that's ever existed. I think that Solo has a very unique situation in that it's a prequel about a character who didn't need a prequel. Like, everything we know about Han, and to an extension Lando, we we know from the movies he already started. We, we knew who he was, why he was who he was, how he operated, all delivered through expository dialogue. And the thing is, it's like, Han is there... Not because specifically the money in the beginning it is, and then when we get to that third act at the end of uh, at the end of this at the end of um, a new hope, when he comes in in the uh, in the Millennium Falcon saves um, Luke by destroying the sh- the thing the uh, the Tie Fighter that, and you know clears it out so Luke can destroy the Death Star, you know that's his big hero moment. That every just about you know movie after that is trying to you know continue with him because ultimately he makes the decision that it's not just about the money, it's not just about his own self preservation, but he goes in and goes through what what all of those other rebels who died went through to go in save Luke and and um and make sure the Death Star is destroyed. Ultimately, he's hands down one of the most heroic figures of the rebellion. Because he's not, you know, someone who was born into the resistance in the way that Leia was, where it's like we know because of what role Bale had toward the end of the Republic in the Twilight, and then in the early years of the of the Rebels, um, we know that, you know, Leia was kind of always going to take this role, independent of um, her, her heritage. Luke is the chosen one. He is the one who, you know, I think to an extent when we watch... You know, when we when we watch Star Wars, I don't think Anakin is meant to be the chosen one. I'm I'm a believer that Luke is the chosen one, where he's the person who's going to bring balance to the Force. Um, and the reason why he does it is by bringing Vader back to to the side of light. It destroys the dark side un- until Palpatine gets reincarnated, which I guess would then make. Uh, Ray, the chosen one. Let's not fall down this rabbit hole. I don't want to get another dissertation in my fucking email about how Ray's a Mary Sue and how I'm wrong. And I'm not. I'm not getting into this again. Um, but if you really look at like what we have here and how you know 
um, what's it called? Um, what this movie's supposed to do is it's telling the origin of Han, how he met Chewie, how he met Lando, and how he ends up with the Millennium Falcon. And there is so much to get wrong in the lead-up to this movie during production and all of that. So many opportunities to fuck up royally. Uh, and, you know, Lucasfilm, to their, you know, to be, to be fair, took a lot of those opportunities. When they um, brought on Lord and Miller to make the movie and then fired them midway through production and brought in Ron Howard because they didn't want to piss off um, Kasdan... That was a misstep, in my opinion, I think. And I think that bringing in Lord and Miller to begin with, if you're going to have Kasdan write the script, was a mistake. I think, I, and I, I, I do think that, you know, Lord and Miller, while great filmmakers, the Lego movie's great, like one of my favorite movies is Into the Spider-Verse, 21 Jump Street is a, a very watchable movie, and if they put them on Men in Black, I would watch the hell out of that. That would be very fun to watch. Um... But I don't think they're a good mesh for Star Wars. I would watch, like, if they did their own version of Star Wars. Like, kind of like how, uh, what's his name? Seth MacFarlane did the Orville. Um, I would watch Lord and Miller do a version of Star Wars or a Star Wars parody. Um, that could be pretty fun. But I don't think they would mesh well within what's, what needs to happen in this movie. Now, do I think that, like, and on top of it, it's like, okay, well, you, 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 you cast someone as young Han Solo. No matter who you cast, that was going to be, you know rife for, um, you know, debate, and ultimately the number one question that this movie had to answer is, why should this movie exist? Why do we need to tell this story? And the story that the movie tells has to warrant existing, has to warrant this movie's existence. Um, and I, like, as much as I like this movie, and as fun as this movie is, and I, I love everything with Lando, I love everything, you know, with the the heist going to um, you know steal from uh, what's called stealing the the I mean, you want to call it the coax cables but whatever shit they use to fuel the hyperspace, it's a fun thing to do, and and, and it's it's cool to watch and and like do we really need a retcon for why um, Hans says that it made the castle run in whatever how three point four parsecs like it, it's the kind of thing where it's like if you know what a parsec is and it's it's a it's a, it's a measure of distance. They could have just said it, he was, like, I always interpreted that as he's trying to, you know, see how much he can charge these two by playing off of how much they know. And it's like, if he says that, no, like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, that, it's that good. And I, I think that, like, retconning it where it's like, no, they're, you know, it's going through a storm and there's a distance you have to do. And it's like, ultimately, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, you know, in... A New Hope, we get Anakin referred to as, you know, a great pilot, one of the greatest pilots ever. And then rather than showing us how he became a great pilot in the in the prequels, we just see that he is a great pilot. Even when we get to, um, you know, on Tatooine when he's pod racing, we see him as a great pilot. But we don't get an explanation as to how he got that good. We don't see the failures. And if we're going to criticize Rey for not seeing her failures, I think that's a valid criticism to levy against Anakin Skywalker as well. Again, not getting into this. But but it, the same thing kind of happens here, where it's like, we don't see Han develop into the pilot that we know he becomes. So, I, I, I like, and again, love this movie. Like, it is my second or third favorite movie of the Disney era. But 
it, it, it like it, it doesn't answer the fundamental question that this movie uniquely has to answer, which is why does it have a right to exist? Why does the story need to be told? And I think that's an ultimate failure on this movie's part. Is that because we don't know why the movie needs to tell this story, what's the purpose? And, I, and I've said this before when I do my reviews on, on Beware of Spoilers of the new Star Wars books like Thrawn. Why do we need so many Thrawn books? And, and besides, you know, there's the, the person in me who's like, I, I know why we're getting them. And it's because it will sell. People will go and buy a Thrawn book because they like the character. And to an extent, there is a certain fun to reading the way Thrawn is written. And, and Zahn does a great job every time of writing this character in such a way where it's like, this is what the thinker should have been in season four of The Flash. Not, he has seen the upcoming scripts or he has seen the past scripts so he knows everything and just, you know, like that. It's rationally the decisions that Thrawn makes ba are based on things that, okay, that makes sense. I can see why he would intuit that that would happen and then plan for it. And then when things don't go that way, he still knows what he's going to do next. So I, I think that, like, ultimately that's the big problem we ha I have with, you know, this movie. Like, it, it, like we don't have a reason why... You know, we should care about what Han did in this point in time, especially considering all this movie does is explain to us things we already knew. He met Chewie in an Imperial prison. He, like, the, the most interesting thing going forward is the introduction of Maul at the end of the movie as Red Crimson, Crimson Dawn, I think it was. Like, when he talks to Kira... And he um, he cracks the lightsaber. That's the most interesting thing that happens in this movie. That's oh, that's different. Like, I want to see more of that. I, want, I I would prefer to see more of Kira going forward. Which right now she's got a big role in the War to Bounty Hunter series that's going on in Marvel Comics. But it it doesn't really like explain why this movie should be a movie that we we should watch. Besides the fact that. It's these character moments that we knew were going to happen, but now you get to visually watch them, which I guess is kind of the same thing for the prequels. Like, we knew the um, the Republic would fall, Vader would rise, and that ultimately it would come to blows between Vader and Obi-Wan, but we we didn't, we, like, now we get to see that. And I guess that's kind of the same thing here, where, like, we get to see moments that we knew happened, and we get to see how they unfolded. If you haven't watched Solo yet, which a lot of people didn't because it didn't do too well at the box office, it's definitely worth a watch, especially now that it's on Disney+. Plus. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, I assume you do have Disney+. Plus. But if you, like, if you're talking about what the purpose of this movie is, I still can't give it to you. And, and which brings us to our listener question this week. What if for Star Wars, as well as DC, I decided to merge two listener questions into one. So, first off... Um, let's finish off What If for Star Wars with Rogue One and with Solo. So, for Rogue One, I would say, um, What If Saw went with them off of Jeddah and didn't accept his death and became kind of a figure going forward for the Rebellion. Because the there is this kind of duality between his methods and, and Mon Mothma and Leia's, where it's like his methods are always designed to, are, are brutal. Like, we've seen him through the Bad Batch, we've seen him through the Clone Wars, we've seen him through Rebels. He is a, re he's a rebel, but he is the Darth Vader of Rebels, where it's like he will kill, maim, 
massacre, do whatever it takes to, um, to, to bring about the end of the Empire. And I would like to see how that juxtaposes with, you know, the styles of Leia and Mon Mothma, who are like, we're going to do this, but we're going to handle this in a, you know, in a strategic way, where it's like, to an extent, there's a certain amount of politics to it, where if you go with Saw, and Saw's going in, and he's just killing anyone who sympathizes with the Empire, you end up with, you know, people who will not be sympathetic to your cause. If you go with the way that Mon Mothma and, and Leia do, which is, you know, fight the Empire where we can, go for little victories, and don't really, don't bring in innocence if we don't have to, you know, it's an interesting kind of, like, you know, difference, I think. And I would like to see, that would be a cool juxtaposition to, to put between the two. Now for, what about, uh, for what if for Solo? Hmm. I would say what if instead of Paul Bettany, it just straight up was Darth Maul. Because I feel like if we're talking about Han at this young age, if he's dealing directly with Darth Maul and not, you know, emissaries for Darth Maul, I think that could, you know, put some intimidation into him. And it could impact what goes on throughout the rest of the movie. Because the rest of it's kind of like, you know, anything that... Because of what Solo is and where it takes place in the timeline and, and what the movie showcases, you can't add anything... You can't change anything there without fundamentally changing something in the later movies. Like, if we say, what if the Kessel Run fails? That could be... Oh, yeah, that let's do that instead. What if the Kessel Run is a failure and, and they all die? What happens then? We won't really see a reverberation through until much later when we get to, you know, episode four. But who takes on the role of um, of Han Solo in his absence when the uh, when when Lu when Luke and Obi Wan have to get off planet? What what happens then when they get to the ruins of Alderaan? How does that play out? That's an interesting way to go, I would think. Now, for DC. Um, for the DC movies, let's see. What about? Let's start with, what if the world found out about Superman earlier? I think that would be an interesting question. Like the the movie posits that Superman doesn't become aware, like isn't you know shown to the world until Zod comes and that invasion happens. What if he didn't listen to Pa Kent? Um, and decided to do whatever, you know, was the right thing to do anyway. Um, how does that world look different? I mean, we know how that world looks. We've seen 90 years of comics of how that world looks. Um, like, but it'd be interesting to see. Basically, I want to see a real Superman movie and not this bullshit that Zack Snyder foisted on us. Batman v Superman. What if Batman turned... To be, you know, the the killer that we see him as in, um, what's it called in in Batman v Superman, where he's got no regard for human life after the arrival of Superman. What if that turn happened where it logically should have at the death of Robin at the hands of the Joker? You know what? Let's correct that. That'll be my what if for Suicide Squad because I want to see how that world looks in a world where the Joker gets straight up murdered by Batman, who is prone to snap in this way. I want to see what happens there, because that still makes no sense to me. How is it that the Joker can straight up murder Robin, take credit for it, taunt him with it constantly, 
and not end up dead. But these lackeys who are working for, I guess, Lex, if I remember correctly, for Batman v Superman, like, they don't end up dead despite everything that happens there. So it'd be interesting to see, uh, to say the least, how that works out. What else is there? What if, uh, okay, so we still have to do Batman v Superman. I want to say, what if Diana wasn't there? Or what if Diana, you know what, let's do that. What if Diana carried the spear and got the final kill on Doomsday? Because the do- the the spear would kill Doomsday anyway. Um, and Diana would not be weakened by the kryptonite spear. So what if, what would happen in that world where where Diana is able to do that? How does Justice League then look in this world? Then Justice League, what if, again, for what if I always assume that everything that happened prior happens the same until we get to that movie. So for, for that, I would say what if, because functionally we got two versions of this movie. So it's like we got the theatrical and then we got the extended Snyder cut with all the ridiculous scenes cut out and then just moderately ridiculous scenes put in. It's like I was I was watching Monty Python the other night and it's like, you know, they had the the extremely silly candidate and the moderately silly candidate and that's kind of what that that was. It's just a, it's like a 4-hour version where we like there are so many stupid th- like honestly, I think that, you know, I think a better villain for this movie wouldn't have been Steppenwolf. I think a better villain for this movie would have been Vandal Savage. I think Star of the Conqueror would have been a better villain for this movie, even though, you know, the Suicide Squad kind of got that locked down and did that very well. Um, Who else would have been a good villain for that? Like, Superman himself would have been a good villain for that. Um, Because that would have, you know, closed out, you know, Bruce's arc perfectly. And that would have been thematically right for what Zack Snyder's going for. I don't understand. Um, now, if we're using Marvel What If rules, it could be something totally unrelated instead of like, so like, what if the signal that went out at the end of Batman v Superman didn't didn't went to Apocalypse, and then rather than sending Steppenwolf straight up, um, Darkseid comes to Earth. Well, really, that's just you know, yeah. Let's do that. What if Darkseid came instead of Steppenwolf? Uh, or Granny Goodness came, or any number of other uh, apocalyptic villains, apocalyptian villains, come to Earth instead of that. Or, like, because that's what it is, it's like they, they send out this signal, like, the signal goes out through the entire, you know, universe, conceivably. There are so many other cosmic villains that could have come to Earth that weren't Steppenwolf. What happens in a world where any number of these villains come to Earth? Um... So that would be interesting to see, too. Um, what else is there? Um, Shazam. Um, I guess what if his mom didn't abandon him would be interesting. And, I mean, would take away the, probably the biggest emotional gut punch of a scene in a comic movie I've seen in a long time. Where he um, he meets his mom and his mom straight up tells him, I didn't want you. And, and she left him on purpose. And just his, the way his, the, that actor... The way his face falls when his, when the woman tells him that, oh my god, it's so, so sad. Um, but I think in that world, because the thing is, it's like, at the same time, the wizard would have still chosen him, but how would his life be different as Shazam in that world? So that would be cool. Then there is um, Birds of Prey. I think presumably, I think we're supposed to presume the Joker died in the explosion at Ace Chemicals. So what if the Joker didn't die and came after her would be pretty cool. Um, 
because I do not think that, you know, um, Black Mass would have been a, what's it called, would have been a challenge to be dispatched by the Joker. I think he would have tore through him like tissue paper just to get to Harley. Um, so I think that would be an interesting, you know, movie to see as well. And then I guess for Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, the most recent Suicide Squad. Let me guess, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, I forgot Aquaman. Hmm. What if Aquaman had a, a reasonable place in the timeline? Because, like, it doesn't. Because they, they choose to willfully acknowledge Justice League when they could have just not. And it could have come before Justice League. Um, hmm. What if, I, I want to say what if Black Manta died on the submarine, but that doesn't really do anything to change the plot in a meaningful way? What if Aquaman beat Ocean Master at the first fight? Like, he just, he just beats, you know, he just beats the crap out of him in the first fight in the arena. Uh, what happens then? Um, and and now Ocean Master has to come and, and, and go for the throne. Then what happens? Um, because I could see Ocean Master going through all the same motions to get to the throne. I want to see what happens in that version of the story. But he wouldn't have Mera's help. Um, he would be on his own. And then for the Suicide Squad... Um, let me see. What what do we want to do for the Suicide Squad? What if the the team that was sent to distract for the real team, um, when they got to Corto Maltese, the one that Harley Quinn was part of, but like everyone else died, like Captain Boomerang died, and you know Weasel died, but then didn't. Like, what if they got through? What if they what if they tore through the uh, defenses? And made it to land. What was the game plan then? Um, and how does that change things for this movie? Because I could see it where neither side knew about the other. So I could see it, it coming to blows between the two Suicide Squads. So it would be interesting to see how that played out. So. And then Starro gets loose anyway. Because of, because of the colossal fuck up. So yeah. So I think we'll wrap up there for today. Oh! Big announcement. So, New York Comic Con is coming up next month. I will not be in physical attendance because I can't justify spending $60 a day for four days. But I did get a virtual pass. Um, so, so, let's say Saturday the 9th at noon, we're going to do a live show. That's the first of two live shows in the month of October we're going to have. We're going to have a live show at noon Eastern Time. On Saturday, October 9th. We are also going to have a live show on Sunday, October 17th. So a month from today. Um, in which we will discuss everything that comes out of DC Fandom. So look forward to that. So that will be Saturday, October 9th. And Sunday, October 17th. We will have live shows. Get ready to hear me say um a lot because I will not be able to cut them out. But get ready for that on those days. They will be available to watch or listen to rather on the official page for Spreaker. Next week I'll have a a, uh, a link for that, uh, like a short link. But if you go on Spreaker's website, Spreaker.com, and find 30-minute reviews, that's where we'll be hosting the live show. So you can listen live there. So until next week, have a great rest of your week. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Are you indifferent to the show? No matter what, you should probably let us know what we're doing so we can change it 
to better suit you, the listener's needs. You can go to either bit.ly slash BOS contact, which is a contact form page you can use. Also, you can just email us directly at 30minutereviews at gmail.com. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we can answer them on the air. We have a few questions every week that will be selected to be answered on air. Um, So if you want to tell us what we should do, or if you have a suggestion for a movie or a TV show or something we should cover, go to bitbit.ly slash boscontact and also email us 30minutereviews at gmail.com.